Have you ever wondered what a nurse attorney would say about the best ways to protect your nursing license and avoid legal issues throughout your career? Well, look no further because today we're speaking with Lori Brown, nurse attorney extraordinaire, right here on episode 196 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I am so grateful you're listening, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me for months or years. Thank you for being part of the Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, inspiration, and ideas that'll get you moving in a positive and inspired direction. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 196. Okay, we are here with Lori A. Brown, RNMNJD. She became a registered nurse after graduating from Indiana University in Indianapolis, Indiana in 1982. And she's worked in a variety of nursing fields, including med surge, management, and administration. In 1984, she obtained her master's in nursing administration and medical surgical clinical nurse specialist program from the University of California, L.A., Then Lori went on to get her law degree from Indiana University in Indianapolis, Indiana in 90, and as a nurse attorney, she practiced in medical malpractice defense for the state of Indiana and a private law firm. She's currently admitted to law practice in Indiana and Illinois. She founded Brown Law Office PC in 1999 and began working as a legal nurse consultant and representing nurses and other healthcare providers before licensing boards. That is scary stuff, and we're going to talk about that. In 2012, Lori founded EmpoweredNurses.org, an organization designed to help nurses protect their licenses while learning to speak their mind, stand in their power, and be a change agent to improve patient care. We're going to talk about all her books during the course of this conversation. And I just want to let you know, she's a member of the board of directors of the American Association of Nurse Attorneys. And you can check out her blogs and all her services, products, and everything else at yournurseattorney.com and empowerednurses.org. It'll all be in the show notes. She is a keynote speaker, a speaker at many regional and national nursing organization conferences, and the author of numerous wonderful published articles. Lori Brown, welcome to the Nurse Keith Show. Thank you, Keith. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I am so happy to be. Of course, I'm happy to be here, but I'm happy to be here with you. And, you know, you and I have met at the National Nurses and Business Association Conference. We've shared clients back and forth. You're an amazing nurse out there doing incredible work in the world. Today, we're going to focus mostly on what you do as a nurse attorney. And then we'll have you back sometime later this year to talk about what you do with nurse entrepreneurs. So we're going to get to that too, Lori. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So first, Lori, (laughs) how does a nurse like you decide to become a lawyer? Well, it really was not planned. It was totally by accident. It was a way to avoid depression from my divorce. (laughs) So it was really a midlife crisis that happened. I left my husband in April 
took the LSAT review course in May, applied in June, took the test in June, got admitted in July, and started school in August. So (laughs) taking that into consideration, Lori, and I didn't know that about you, actually, would you recommend other nurses going through difficult personal circumstances to go to law school? (laughs) No, okay. no, it was really a, a way to, for me to hide out and be busy versus dealing with, you know, what happened. I see. Well, that's very honest of you. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, my listeners, our listeners are nurses and all of us have lives that can get pretty complicated. So I think it's really authentic of you to share that background. I think that's that's so honest and I appreciate that. Well, it's it's interesting. Sometimes things have um, other plans for you than you had planned, but it is the best thing I've ever done. So things have a way of working out. That's good. Yeah. John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I absolutely. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, you know, as a nurse attorney, you have probably seen it all, I bet. I mean, you've worked in law offices, you have your own law office, you've seen everything that can possibly happen legally to a nurse or healthcare professional, right? I've seen a lot. I, and every time I think I've seen it all, something new happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a lot of different legal stuff that can impact a nurse's career, right? So many right. things. Okay. Right. So where do we begin? I mean... <laughs> Of course, we document the crap out of everything because we're trying to protect ourselves, right? And provide good patient care. So where do things, well, where do things go south for nurses? What are some of the common themes and situations you see that people call you about? Well, I think sometimes nurses take shortcuts because they'll do a workaround for something. And you know how when you take a shortcut to go home, it always turns out to be the long way. Don't get me started. Um, I know. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, and also they, they buy into the unit norms. So if it's the norm on the unit to like waste meds without a witness and people just sign off for you, that's a huge red flag. These things are in place to protect your license and to show that you've done the right thing. So when you take a shortcut, it's, um, can be very dangerous, like pre-filling meds, pre-charting meds, all of those things can get you into big trouble. So shortcuts come back and bite you in the derriere. Correct. Okay. Yeah. In in legal speak, that is, of course. You know, <laughs> noticed I use a French word to sound a little more, you know, official. <laughs> um, right. Right. And, and and falling into the unit norm. So if everybody does it this way and you feel like, well, I'm on the new man on the block, I know this isn't right, but this is how they do it here. I guess it I must do it the way they do it. Okay. So let's dig a little deeper into the clinical issues first. Okay. So let's say you make an error in a medical chart and you spy a a jar of whiteout on the unit secretary's desk. Should you grab that whiteout or should you do something else? If you have a paper no. chart, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Never use whiteout. Um, I've got a case going on right now where the nurse used whiteout, and Ooh. and it's a huge problem. There should never be whiteout on the unit either. And if you do want to correct something in the chart, just know that attorneys can get what are called audit trails and see the history, and they're going to be able to find out that you changed something after the fact, and then you get to answer for that, say in a deposition or in court. Oh, boy. So on the one hand, we have written charts, which some of you out there are still using. We know in many different milieus, there's 
Mars that you fill out for med administration. There's so many places where you might be doing handwritten documentation of some kind, an INO chart, whatever it happens to be. And then you have EHRs, right, Lori? Right. So EHRs, you're saying that they can go back and subpoena anything they want. Right. And anything you delete on the internet, even in an EMR, probably doesn't go anywhere, does it? No, you can always get a hold of it. So, for example, your boss comes in and says, oh, I noticed you didn't chart that they were turned every two hours on this day and this day. Can you go back and do that? Mm -hmm. That will come back and haunt you. You have to do it properly as a late entry. So if your boss doesn't seem to know what you're supposed to do to enter it as a late entry, what do you say to him or her? And then what do you actually do? You just say that you have to follow the policy and procedure and and do it um, in compliance with the policy and procedure. Okay. Your policy and procedure are your best friends. If you follow those, you will be protected. Unless they're very poorly written. Um, that that could be true too, but <laughs> but generally, part, yeah. Generally, we need to trust our policies and procedures and adhere to them, right? Right, right. And I would assume that if a nurse came to you and said, "Hey, there's a policy and procedure at my place, and I think it is totally off the wall and illegal and wrong," um, I'm sure you would have some advice for them. Right. You know, whenever you want to make a change, come up with a solution and the reason why and show that it's not going to cost more or take more time and show the win-win, how it's in the facility's best interest as well as the, the staff's best interest. I see. Okay. So documentation. And then we also just mentioned if you want to change a policy and procedure, which can be a big deal depending on the size of organization you work for and the organization's willingness to even examine itself, right? Right. Because we, a lot of us have worked for places where they don't want to know anything about anything. And they're like, well, that's the way we've always done it. And you know, if someone came to me with a situation like that, I might say, you know, maybe you should find another job. <laughs> That's what I always say. You can get another job, but you can't get another license. If you're working in a place that you have some concerns about the way the care th is provided, you don't have to stay there. Mm, okay. That's right. That's right. There's always another place to go, even if you feel like there's not. And that's where sometimes people reach out to me and they say, how can I find another job? But that's another story. So Something else you mentioned to me in the midst of our going back and forth preparing for this episode was that you mentioned that leaving work for an emergency, say a family emergency, can also cause you issues. And what have you seen around you get a call and you've got to go? What happens? You have to report off properly and get permission. You can't just leave. So ask the supervisor who's on call and make sure that your patients are covered and that you've given report so you can safely leave the facility and take care of your situation. Okay. And if you don't do all that and dot your I's and cross your T's, that constitutes or can constitute patient abandonment, right? Correct. Yes. And that can be pretty bad. If you're scheduled to be there, you, you have to be there the whole time. Mm -hmm. You can't just leave and say, I've got to go. I've got an emergency. Okay. Um, unless you again, properly report off and have somebody else responsible for your patients. Okay. And have you defended nurses who were in that particular type of situation? Yes. Oh my yes. God. Okay. It must yeah. be a tough, a tough one. 
Well, and unfortunately, nurses will come to work and they will see that they have an awful assignment. You know, so many people called in and and they're like, I can't possibly do this. This isn't safe. Mm -hmm. And they'll want to leave. And they'll, they'll be like, well, I didn't even clock in. I just left. Well, that is considered patient abandonment because you were assigned to be there and you didn't, and you left. Oh, even if you didn't clock in, you could be charged even if with. if you didn't clock in. Oh, okay. That's new to me. Okay. And yep. it might be new to some of the, some of the listeners who are tuning in right now. So that's super important. Thank you for that. Yeah. That what I suggest is you write a letter to your supervisor about why you th that you thought it was unsafe. Keep a copy for yourself. So if there is a situation of malpractice or a license issue, you have documentation and proof that you spoke up and nothing was done about it. You did your shift anyways because you had an obligation to your patients, but you were very concerned about it. Okay, so we might call that doing your due diligence and protecting yourself all yeah, at the same CYA. time. CYA. That's right. Okay. So another legal term, another one. Yeah. CYA. Let's move on to a couple other clinical scenarios that you have encountered. So how about, how about opiate administration? Doesn't that cause us some issues here and there? Um, yes, that is the, I think the, the biggest issue before the boards right now is these Pixis machines have software in them that detects if you are like on the high end of administering medication. Okay. And if you are, then they, they consider you an outlier and then you're, you get flagged. And then what they do is they do an audit and they make sure that every medication that you took out of the Pixis went to the patient. Well, what if you're in charge and you pull a med for somebody else? They don't want you to be doing that anymore. If you pull the med, you need to be administering it. And then you need to scan the patient and sign that particular medication out. They also don't want you to be holding it in your pockets for a period of time. So they want you to go right to the Pixis, get the med, and give it to the patient right away. If you have a waste, they want it to waste right away. They don't want, again, want you holding it in the pocket and waiting till you can find somebody to waste with because that causes them concern. Like you could, if it's a syringe, you had a hundred milligram syringe and, and gave 50, they're concerned that you could waste the other, take the other 50 and then just replace it with saline and go to the person and say, hey, let, why don't you witness me wasting this? Mm -hmm. And I have a sense you're saying that because you know situations where that actually happened. No, actually, I don't. Um, okay. I don't. Okay. I don't. I think it does, but I don't get it. If my client has a substance abuse problem, I want to just get them the help they need. I don't worry about how they got the medication. I see. So it's more about treatment reform and getting them back on the floor doing the work they're meant to do. Exactly. Right. Okay. So speaking of diversion, so it could be considered diversion if you just left it in your pocket and went home because many people may not believe you, especially in a court of law, right? Yeah. And diversion just means getting it off its course. That So if you, it was supposed to be taken out of the Pixis and then given to another patient. Mm -hmm. If you take it home, you're taking it off the course. So you're diverting it. Oh, see, that's a wider, broader definition of diversion than I've heard before. Mm -hmm. so I and diversion that. could also mean selling it, you know, if you take it and sell it, that's diversion as well. 
That's kind of how I've always pictured diversion of someone diverting the med from the patient, taking it out and either using it themselves or selling it or giving it to someone. But now you're making it clear that just keeping it in your pocket and going home and having it go through the washing machine at your house is diversion because right. it's and gone. Here's- Another example of diversion, if your patient needs a medication and you don't, your patient doesn't have it and it takes a long time to get from pharmacy, so you borrow it from another patient, mm-hmm. that's also diversion. And that's actually considered theft because that patient's paid for it or their insurance company paid for it and that you gave it to another patient. Wow. This is really sticky stuff and sounds like things that people really need to think about um, because... There's so many pitfalls. There's so many places we can run into little speed bumps or roadblocks in the course of our practice. Right. And we think we're helping a patient by, well, let me just borrow it from patient A and give it to patient B. And as soon as pharmacy gives patient A meds, we'll give it back. But again, that's considered diversion as well. And Okay. Well, patient A won't mind. (laughs) Of course not. They'll never know. know. Right. Okay. (laughs) So speaking of controlled substances, well, we all know these days that there are more and more states in the United States specifically where recreational marijuana is legal and where medical marijuana is legal or sometimes both in the same state. Mm -hmm. So CBD is also very popular and You did mention to me, and I do understand myself, that CBD can say it doesn't have THC, but there can be traces. So are people getting caught out with THC in their system from having taken CBD? Yes, they are. Um, In at least in Colorado and Oregon that I know of, Mm -hmm. that it's it is even though marijuana is legal, if a nurse has a positive drug screen, then um, that is that's a problem and um, it will get reported to the board. Right. Now, you may not know about this case. I'll mention it really briefly. A friend of mine who used to live here in New Mexico was working for Presbyterian Health Services. And you can Google this case. It's out there on the interwebs. Her name was Donna and she was a PA and she was a military vet with PTSD and diagnosis and a medical marijuana card. So, She was hired, started working, a drug test eventually happened, and she told them it was positive because she had a medical marijuana card and she showed all of the documentation. She was summarily fired, lost her case, and the case was thrown out by the judge and Presbyterian Health Services won that particular case. So the arguments that are being made on both sides are pretty sticky and complicated. One, that If you have a healthcare provider with a documented problem and they are eligible to have medical marijuana, why can't they use it if they're not using during work, just like a nurse who is an alcoholic but doesn't drink when she's at work? And this, I think this conversation is going to continue for many years, isn't it, Lori? It is. And boards are concerned if nurses use controlled substances on a regular basis, too, because even though you say you didn't use it before work, it still is in your system and you can seem impaired and it it will cause you a problem. So a 
a hospital can ask you to take a drug test at any time. Mm -hmm. And typically hospitals will forgive you if you have a prescription for that particular medication. But what if it's the same medication that was missing? Right. It it makes it so much harder to defend. So So difficult. Yeah. So if you're using controlled substances on a regular basis, there's so many other ways to treat pain. And I would encourage you to look at for those because you don't want to be the one caught or or the scapegoat because exactly. these nurses who do divert, they're pretty, pretty um, savvy and they will blame it on other people. Totally. And yeah, yeah, of course. And you that's know, part of the disease. Yeah, we can have an ongoing conversation and we we actually do need to have an ongoing collective conversation in this culture. And this is for another podcast about why healthcare professionals who have documented diseases or conditions can't use medical marijuana when it's legal in the state where they're living and practicing. I understand these things. And some people will argue, well, if you have an alcoholic nurse who never shows up at work impaired, you know, we're condoning that and that can actually be more dangerous than other substances. So we, we're not going to resolve that issue here, but right. we, we want to bring- also- not just for nurses. Um, it's for bus drivers and airline pilots and, and other people who take lives in their hands every day. Right. So folks who are listening, keep tuning in because eventually I want to have someone from the Cannabis Nurses Association on the show to talk about some of these more thorny issues and just kind of keep unpacking this because it's going to keep becoming an issue. So We'll see. We'll see what happens. And Lori, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some more clinical scenarios and issues that nurses should watch out for on the legal level, and also some stuff from your personal life that can come home to roost in your career. So we will be right back after a quick break with more from Lori Brown here on The Nurse Keith Show, episode 196. So that's right. Now we're going to take a pause for the cause. Just a moment. I want you to consider become a patron of the Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value this show so much that they dig into their pockets and give just a tiny little bit to help the production and basically sponsor the show to get out there in the world. You can go to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. And if you do pledge a little bit to the Nurse Keith show every month, you'll get some pretty cool premiums and prizes directly from little old me. I also want to encourage you to sign up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com and leave a rating and review of the show over on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Finally, if you know of anyone who could benefit from a little career coaching with me, Nurse Keith, refer them. And if it's a successful referral, meaning they actually pay for some coaching, even one session, you'll get an hour of coaching from me as a thank you for a successful referral to the show. That hour I gift you never expires. You can use it anytime in the future and you can earn as many of those hours as you like if you want to refer your colleagues, friends, the local grocer, the bus driver to me for coaching. Anyway, we are going to hop right back into the studio with Lori Brown, nurse attorney, and continue talking about these sticky issues that can get you caught up legally, jurisprudence-wise, with your nursing career. Mm-hmm. 
And we're back here with Lori Brown in the second half of Keith Nurse Keith Show, episode 196. Hi, Lori. Thanks for hanging out. Sure, Keith. And I would like to say that I've referred several nurses to Keith for coaching, and he's done an amazing job. Oh, thank you. And Lori, you've got access to me anytime you need it for anything you need, okay? So you just reach out to me because you're an amazing supporter. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And everybody heard it here first, so you can hold me to that. (laughs) Anyway, let's dig back into some other issues for the second half of the conversation. So when stuff happens in your life, your personal life, criminal stuff happens in your life, how can that impact your nursing career and your license? The board feels that you're a nurse 24-7. So if you are doing something that is not professional outside of your nursing career, it could be imputed upon your nursing license as well. Could you give us an example of what that might be? Well, um, I mean, obvious ones are DUIs. I think that nurses and uh, healthcare professionals, it's the number one crime that healthcare professionals commit uh, is driving under the influence. And they, the board believes that, you know, if you're doing this, it could be a sign of impairment anyway. So they want to know. Okay. So DUIs, that makes sense. Public intoxication, probably like walking drunk down the street and getting picked up by a cop. Mm -hmm. And um, domestic abuse type cases. You mean if you're a perpetrator? If Yes, correct. And, and it goes both ways because, you know, if somebody um, hurts you, you're going to retaliate and hurt back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you both could wind up with domestic abuse charges. Okay. So nurses who are in domestic abuse situations, DUIs, bar fights, falling down drunk on the street, don't do that, getting arrested, all that kind of stuff can definitely come to the board's attention, right? Right. And know your state nurse practice act to determine if you have to mandatorily report those type of things. Oh, right. Of course. So do not all states require that? In Indiana, which is my primary state of practice, although I'm licensed in Illinois and work with others in other states. I have co-counsels all over the country. In Indiana in particular, on the license renewal, it asks, have you been arrested, convicted, or pled guilty or no contest to a crime? And that's only every other year when you renew your license. Mm -hmm. But there is a statute which is not in the Nurse Practice Act, but it's under the health professions area that says that you have 90 days after a conviction to report it. But if you pled no contest or have a deferral type of situation, sometimes they, it, they'll they say like, if you don't get in, have a problem for a year, well, this will go away. But you have to sign something that you plead guilty to it. So if you do have a problem, they have something to hold over your head. Ooh, so be okay. careful, be careful. It sounds like if someone's in a situation like that, they might want to call someone named Lori Brown to ask what they should do before they sign, right? Yes, and I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. Okay. All right. That sounds like a goodly good idea. Now, what about when you renew your license and say you've been terminated or something untoward has happened in the last couple of years? Do you also have to tell the board about stuff like that when you're renewing? Each state is different as far as their renewal questions are concerned. But in Indiana, we specifically have a question that says, have you been disciplined, reprimanded, or terminated in your capacity as a healthcare provider since you last renewed? And if you've been disciplined or had any reprimand, including attendance 
you mm-hmm. have to report that. Attendance? Really? Attendance. Because again, it goes back to the patient abandonment situation. If you call, call in sick a lot and are not available um, during the shifts which are scheduled, the board has some concern about it. Oh my gosh. So absenteeism can actually hurt you legally. It can. Whoa. Okay. So I'm learning a ton here, and I'm assuming a lot of listeners are learning a ton here too. Now, you also sent me you sent me a list of stuff for me to review before talking today, which is very helpful. Thank you. And you mentioned the domino effect, and I did not know what that is. So can you explain what the domino effect is when it comes to nursing licenses specifically? Sure. The domino effect, I call it, I, I coined the term, it stands for if you have a license in one state and you have a license and, and an action is taken and then you have a license in another state, you have to look at the other state's Nurse Practice Act to see if you have to report it. And if you do, you need to report it because if you have a license in, in more than one state and have an action in one state, that other state can take the same action. And here's the rub. Even if the license is expired in another state, they can still take action. And the American Association of Nurse Attorneys developed a a paper, a position paper on that, saying that it is unfair for states to retain jurisdiction. Jurisdiction is the requirement before they can take action on expired licenses. And there's also what they call the time frame in which you can take action. And the sad part is there is no time frame. So you can have an action from a matter taken years ago if wow. that state finds out later. This stuff's a little scary. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to say, you know, don't get a million licenses. You don't need them. And now with the compact, it's it's a little bit easier because one license is for several states, but be careful because if you're working in a state where it's a where the discipline is much stronger than in another state, it, it's an issue. Right. Okay. So it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings, one license to rule them all, right? So you can run into some issues here with these multi-state right. multi-state practice. So nurses have a lot to think about. And you even mentioned to me that aside from reporting convictions, arrests, DUIs, all that other kind of stuff, terminations, even not changing your address with the board can be an issue. It is, especially if you have an expired license in another state and you have an action uh, in a different state. If that expired license in the other state, they want to try and reach you and your address isn't current there, they're going to take whatever action they want and you may not even know about it. Wow. Okay. So changing your address with the board isn't like some simple little thing you do just to make yourself feel good and get, you know, get something in the mail from the board. This is really, really important legal situations. It's probably the most important because if the board can't reach you, they're going to take action without you. So I always recommend that, you know, on the list that you keep of places to notify when you move, put the board at the top. To make sure that you tell them. <laughs> Number one, before the post office, tell the nursing board. <laughs> Sounds really, really important. Now, Lori, you've written a bunch of books. Um, some are related to your work as a nurse attorney. Some are related to the stuff you do with empowering nurses. So the first one was From Frustrated to Fulfilled, The Empowered Nurses System. So I know we're not really talking about 
the entrepreneurial work you do with nurse business owners during this this episode to a great extent. But can you mention a little bit about empowerednurses.org and also about From Frustrated to Fulfilled, which I have right here on my desk in front of me, actually? Sure. So, so many nurses were coming to me with license issues and they're like, I never thought I'd be before the board. And it just made me really sad that here they thought they were a good nurse and they were doing everything right. And I'm sure some of the things that we talked about today surprised you as well, that things weren't aren't quite right. Like for me, borrowing a medication from another patient and replacing it, you know, you can't do that. And it surprises a lot of people when I tell them that. So I came up with a system called GIFTS, and GIFTS is an acronym. And in all of my books, I talk about the GIFTS. And in my book, The Empowered Nurses System from Frustrated to Fulfilled is all about helping you become empowered at the bedside um, by using your GIFTS. And then my book, Law and Order for Nurses, The Easy Way to Protect Your License and Your Livelihood, that's about how to protect your license. And again, there's more eye-opening things that you may not have even thought of in that book as well to help you protect your license. And that's Law and Order for Nurses, The Easy Way to Protect Your License and Your Livelihood, which I also have here. And we will have links to all of these books on Amazon in the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 196. There will also be Lori's bio. There will be her lovely headshot, her empowered nurses logo, and also links to yournurseattorney.com and empowerednurses.org and Lori's YouTube channel as well, which I highly recommend. So we'll also have contact information for the Brown Law Office in case you want to reach out to them for any legal situation that comes up. Now, Lori, the books are out there because you're trying to help nurses in all walks of life do all these things they need to do to either be empowered, to be safe, to protect their licenses, to provide awesome care. And your other book, I just want to mention this book, The Legal Nurse Consultant's Workbook, Turning Your Nursing Knowledge into a Successful Consulting Practice. Is this something that you do with nurses under the auspices of empowerednurses.org? Right. Um, What I've been seeing is that you know, now if we turn right and we should have turned left, we can get in trouble. Even if we open our mouth and speak our mind about something, we can get into trouble. And so many nurses are leaving the hospital because they're so frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so now, but I think nurses are brilliant as being business owners and we can just redirect their nursing knowledge into a different way, whether it be through opening a home health agency, staffing agency, legal nurse consulting business, coaching company, anything. And I teach them step-by-step exactly how they can be successful in business because as um, you've heard through my bio, I started as an attorney, then went started my own business as a legal nurse consultant, and then now represent nurses before the licensing board. So I've had my share of ups and downs with my own business. And I want to prevent that for you and teach you the right way to start it so you can be successful. That's great. And we're going to dig deeper into the work you do with legal nurse consultants and also with nurse business owners at a later date on another episode of the Nurse Keith Show so we can really focus in on that work that you do and the Mm -hmm. programs you offer and the services and products. I just wanted to make sure we mentioned it today so that people know that you're a nurse attorney, but there's a lot more to you than meets the eye if they're just thinking you're a nurse lawyer. 
Thank you. You're welcome. Because I know there is a lot more to you and there's there's a lot of great work you're doing in the world and we want to make sure people learn about it. So if we can turn back into the um, the legal lane, so to speak, we just took a little detour into the entrepreneurial world. So I wanted to make sure we covered a couple other things that you shared with me and that I've been thinking about. So we talked about domestic disputes and all that kind of stuff, but you also mentioned to me child support, liens on your taxes by the IRS, student loan issues, and you mentioned something called the OIG list. And I wanted to touch base with you about all of those situations too. So let's start with child support. Where is that going to come back and bite you? And I think I know. Well, I've had clients who have said, my license, I thought I paid the money, I thought it was renewed, and I found out it wasn't. And I said, well, so they're practicing without a license, which is a criminal offense. Mm. And what happened was they were delinquent in their taxes or child support mm-hmm. or defaulted on student loans. All those things can interfere with your ability to have your license granted or renewed. How does the nursing board in your state find out that you're behind on child support, you have a lien about against you for taxes or student loans. How does that reporting end up in the hands of the nursing board? In Indiana, it's just the tax liens. It, they don't have a, a concern about the child support of the student loans, but other states do. And what they do is they, they're connected with the um, Indiana Department of Revenue. And when there is a lien, a tax lien, then it gets flagged on your license and they know not to, to renew that. Wow. This all comes back to what you said about 10 or 15 minutes ago, that nursing boards consider that you're a nurse 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, right? Right. So it's kind of like when you graduate and you get your license and then you renew your license every couple years and you're practicing as a nurse or you're not practicing like me, but I still have a license. I'm just not a clinician right now that everything you do moving in the world as a nurse can impact your license and your legal standing. Right. And the reason why the child support, the tax liens and the student loans are an issue isn't necessarily because the state wants their money. It's because it's a it's an ethical issue. If mm-hmm. you don't pay child support when you're ordered to or don't pay your taxes when you're required to or default on a student loan, that all reflects on your honesty and your professionalism. And nurses have consistently been voted the number one most ethical profession. And obviously, the boards want to keep it that way as well. We have such a important duty to our patients. We see them in their most vulnerable position, and we have access to so many things that, that most people don't. I see. And we just want to make the boards want to make sure we don't take advantage of that or exploit that. I see. Now, the one last thing I want to make sure I clarified was you had told me that there's something called the OIG list. And you mentioned that has to do with student loans. What does OIG stand for? Okay. OIG is the Office of the Inspector General. And the Office of the Inspector General has a list for of nurses and other healthcare professionals who are prohibited from taking Medicare or Medicaid or working in a facility that takes Medicare or Medicaid. Oh, so the office of the inspector general, is that national or is that per state? It's federal. It's federal. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a, that's a scary term. 
Office of the Inspector General sounds very um, <laughs> sounds a little frightening. So yeah, you don't want to be on that list. Okay. And so some of the ways that you can get on that list are for felonies. If you stole drugs, for example, um, and you took drugs away from Medicare or Medicaid patients, that those patients were billed for those medications, then you're going to get on this list. Ooh, Medicare so fraud. So most attorneys don't understand, criminal attorneys don't understand the impact of criminal matters on your nursing license. And so it's important that you do have somebody who understands that impact so that they can resolve your matter so that you can still practice. Okay, so... Let's talk a little bit about your practice then. If a nurse out there runs into a legal situation and doesn't know what to do or is being coerced or forced into like signing a paper or whatever it happens to be that their employer is saying, you have to do this right now, do you recommend that they call you or another nurse attorney rather than an attorney that doesn't know anything about practicing as a healthcare provider? Right. There, you know, just like you wouldn't go to a your family doctor for removal of a brain tumor, you'd go to a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. You want to go to the person who practices in that particular area. Right. But why do so many nurses go to regular old attorneys for these issues? Is it because they don't know nurse attorneys exist? That could be part of the problem. Um, there's, we, I'm on the board of the American Association of Nurse Attorneys, mm -hmm. but also there's not a nurse attorneys in every state. Oh, okay. So this could be an issue for some people who live in a state where they can't even find anyone. And do you have right. to work with an attorney who is licensed in the state where you live and work? Well, for me, I um, with board matters in particular, I co-counsel with other attorneys. Mm -hmm. And then that way you get an attorney who is familiar with the nursing and then another attorney who's familiar with the board processes in that particular state. So you could cooperate with a regular attorney that someone hired and then you could be brought in as like a consultant or something. Yeah, co-counsel. Well, co-counsel, co okay. Yeah. Co-counsel, okay. Yes. Sorry, my, my jurisprudence language knowledge is pretty minimal. <laughs> Speaking okay. of jurisprudence, when I transferred my license from um, Massachusetts to Texas once upon a time, I had to take a jurisprudence exam. It was killer. <laughs> oh my God. Every state is different. Oh Each God. state has their own requirements. Whoa. It was an open book test and it was timed. And I had to go through this like four or 500 page book trying to find the answers to the questions. It was hell. Anyway, not to cast aspersions on Texas. There's awesome nurses in Texas, but man, I don't want to take that jurisprudence exam again. <laughs> just like if I go to grad school, I don't want to take the GREs, you know, it's just one of those yeah. things. I don't, you know, tests are not my friend. Anyway, Lori, you're doing really great work in the world. You're helping so many people. You've helped me. You've helped people that have been connected with me. And first, I just want to thank you on, the, on behalf of our profession for the awesome work you do. Thank you. I feel like I'm a nurse for nurses because there aren't very many people out there who will stand up for a nurse and, and help them. And I know when this happens, nurses are ashamed. They feel alone and unsupported. And it could be some a little innocent mistake, like borrowing a pill from another patient. Yet they're, you know, they feel like their life is over. Yeah. And speaking of life being over, one last question before we go, okay? A situation happened in Nashville not long ago at Vanderbilt University Hospital, I believe. And there is a situation that's really been in the news lately. And I know just a tiny, tiny bit about it. So could you briefly explain that situation and what 
is currently happening? Because people might be very interested to know how it's developing. Sure. Um, there is a nurse, Redonda Vaught, who was working at uh, Vanderbilt University Medical Center, and she was the help a nurse, which means that she would w- go where people needed her, where she was called. Well, she was called down to the radiology department because a patient was going into a PET scanner and was claustrophobic, and the physician ordered Versed. So she went to the Pixis. There was no order in the system yet for her, so the the med wasn't ready to come out. And so she typed in VE, and she picked the first medication, which happened to be Vecuronium. She administered it to the patient. The patient went into the PET scanner, and about a half an hour later, they realized she's not breathing, doesn't have a pulse. She was resuscitated, but her she was so... She had such little brain activity that they decided to let her go. Mm. A horrible, horrible situation. Absolutely. And if you don't think you can make a med error, you're wrong. This can happen to anybody. And of course, there were systems issues that should have been checked. For example, why is the physician ordering Versed in the first place? Why not Xanax or Valium? Valium, or right? Ativan, right? Right. And Versed, you should be monitored. And how can you monitor a patient in a PET scanner? The other thing is on the Pixis. Why didn't it pop up in the red bold warning letters that this is a potent paralytic? It didn't. So there were a lot of systems issues. And I also think there was some cover up because it wasn't the immediately when the the med error was recognized, I believe Redonda came, uh, told them up front about it, but they never told the family. Mm. And oh, I don't boy. think it was reported to to the state either. Well, the CMS did an investigation and they they found uncovered the truth. And here's the worst part about it. Now Redonda has criminal charges pending against her license or her livelihood, criminal charges for reckless manslaughter. And what bothers me the most is nurses have the hardest job on the planet. They can't pay people enough money to do what nurses do. And if we have a threat of criminal criminal charges over our head for any little misstep, I am very concerned about our profession. Right, right, of course, because people are going to be leaving the profession out of fear, so attrition, and then it's going to make people so afraid that they're not going to go to nursing school in the first place. Right. Yeah. And, you know, she, this is, she clearly committed malpractice. Mm -hmm. No question about it. She, it was flat out malpractice. No excuses, nothing. But does it arise to the level of criminal charges? Is it reckless? Did she have a conscious disregard for the effects this medication would have on this patient? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think it arises to that level. Yet here she is fighting for her freedom. Yeah. Um, She could go to prison for a long time. Right. Um, There is actually a GoFundMe set up to help her with these um, expenses. Our medical malpractice insurance will cover us for medical malpractice. If you choose to get um, your own malpractice insurance, some companies will cover you for professional um, licensing defense. So if you have an action against your license, but nobody will cover you for criminal matter. Oh, wow. That is a very instructive, sadly, instructive situation. And I'm sure some listeners are now Googling it because they haven't heard about it. And I'm sure others who've heard about it want to know more. So yes, the GoFundMe is out there. You can Google it, just Vanderbilt nurse GoFundMe or whatever. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. 
And if you want to contribute and also use this as a learning moment for yourselves, those of you listening, because this is important stuff and we need to make sure we protect ourselves and help our peers protect themselves as well. So Lori, thanks thanks for elucidating that. Yeah, whether you agree or disagree with the criminal charges, we have to stand together for this nurse. Her life has been turned upside down. And if you don't know, she, she, I'm sure she will think about this mistake for the rest of her life. I'm sure. And it's going to affect her higher ability and so many things. It could affect her ability to, who knows, to vote, to get a, a loan to buy a house. I mean, so many repercussions from something like this in a person's life. Right. Yeah. Well, Lori, thank you for elucidating a little more about that situation. I really wanted to get your take on it because I trust you so much around this stuff. And I appreciate your your admonition for us all to stand together, even if we agree with the 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 case or with the charges against her, we still need to understand the the context of how stuff like this happens. And thank you for contextualizing it. And you're amazing. We're going to have you back on the show sometime later in 2019 to talk about nurse entrepreneurship. So Lori, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks, Keith. I so appreciate it. I also send out a newsletter every week on tips and and strategies to empower you as a nurse and protect your license. And that's go to yournurseattorney.com and ask for the what happens if I'm called before the board and that will put you on my list. Great, Lori. So folks, there you have it. Thanks for listening to The Nurse Key Show. Remember, the show notes and links to all this awesome stuff Lori's been talking about with me will be at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 196, including links to some of her amazing articles, her YouTube channel, her books, her social media platforms, etc. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and not overly frightened from this episode. And Lori and I both want you to take inspired action every day to make sure you keep safe as a nurse and increase your professional satisfaction and the development of your career. The Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Tim Hollowell of the podcastinggroup.com and his amazing team. And social media and promotion are handled by the equally amazing Mark Cappy Spiesen. I want you to stay positive, care for yourself and others, and keep tuning again as we explore how to take your life and career to the next level. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, and keep in touch. And adios till next time from me, Nurse Keith, in beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Lori Brown in beautiful... San Diego. San Diego. Okay, Lori, thank you so much. Thanks to everyone. And this is Keith Carlson, Nurse Keith, and Lori Brown signing out. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you.